Hallelujah. Are we on? All right. There's, there's so much I could say about what he just got through saying. It's like I'm picturing the deal about resist not evil, and how he said, you know, yeah, you tense up, and I'm, this is something that anybody who, who's a veteran can understand. When I know when I was in the army, you had to take all these vaccinations, right? And they would come at you with these air guns, and they would just shoot it into your arm through an air gun. It wasn't necessarily a needle, and they would tell you, they would say don't flinch because if you do this thing is going to cut you and i watched the people they couldn't help it man they, they'd flinch up and just there'd be a rip in their arm and just blood starts pouring out where if you'd have just stood there with a relaxed arm it would have just been poof and it'd been over no pain no nothing but because of that fear you tense up and that's what happens when we when we resist evil, it's, you know, we're in this world. We're going to have tribulation. Jesus said that. There's no getting out of it. All right. But the effect that that tribulation can have on you can be amplified and made a lot worse than what it has to be just by you trying to resist something in your own strength. Uh, hallelujah. What a, he said something else, too. Oh, well. He'll be back. Get this thing turned on. And you remember uh, when Annette and I were up here a couple of weeks ago, I brought out the verses where it talks about how grace will instruct you both to abase and to abound. Abasement in that you, you're, you're in a constant recognition that you have no sufficiency of yourself. But abounding in the life of God, knowing that He will step in and He will cause you to abound. And uh, I was thinking about that earlier and uh, it, it, it don't matter how many times I get up in front of people, especially at the beginning, man, I just, I start like shaking and, and it's nervous. Not because I'm afraid of being a public speaker or anything. I have, I don't have an issue with that. But when I understand that I'm about to stand in front of the people of God and I am going to say things that can impact their lives it's like that it I, I don't take that lightly and as i was thinking about that i pulled up a verse in first corinthians chapter 2 and i saw where the apostle paul was feeling the same thing he said and i brethren when i came to you i came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom declaring unto you the testimony of god for I've determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. See, my hand's shaking. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, 
that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The power of God to remove burden off of you. The power of God to remove death off of you and to give you life. So it's, it's not that anybody, as I say things, try to forget mad. God, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to me? And there will be a demonstration that comes forth. And who knows how that demonstration will come forth. It can, it can look like several different things. Uh, it, can, it can look real serious or, or it could actually be humorous and I'm also thinking about two weeks ago when we were up here, I was talking about how you don't have to figure things out where the things of God are concerned. It's just as you sit at the feet of Jesus and you behold Him, what needs to be figured out will be figured out in you. You don't have to do it. The life that's coming from Him will do it for you. And I made this statement. I said, I said and this is good news because I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. And then I said, then I made this statement. I said, you know, it, it, some people, it bothers them when I make this statement, and God said to me. And all of a sudden, my mind just went blank. I didn't, the thought just absolutely escaped me. And, and for several days after that, I, it was bugging me. It's like, what was I going to say? Well, yesterday it comes back to me. <laughs> and, yeah, because God talks to me in the shower. And, and it's because cleanliness is next to godliness, right? <laughs> but what I intended to say was he has to talk to me that way because I'm such a knucklehead. He has to do something to get through to me, right? And I'm like, so why did that thing just escape me? And just clear as a bell, I hear the Holy Spirit say, I was demonstrating what you were talking about. <laughs> You're not the sharpest tool in the shed. I was confirming the word with signs following. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, glory, glory, glory. So we went to, we went to uh, North Carolina to see Birdie at his first stop here. That was a good time. It was a good time. Just... Sometimes it's good just to, just, I, I told Greg, like, I said, it's like this. I said, sometimes we get all technical with stuff, and there's nothing wrong with that. I said, so, you know, sometimes we're like the, we hang around in the pool, and after we've been in there for a while, we start trying, oh, well, I wonder what makes that pump work. <laughs> or I wonder, what, wonder how the filter does what it does. You know, not that I'm looking to know how to do it so I can work something, I'm just in this thing I want to understand. You know, and all you're getting, get understanding, right? But up there, it was just a time of forget the stuff and just enjoy being in the pool. And it was so refreshing. I look forward to him being here. And if, if you can be here, you'll be doing yourself a big favor. And you online, if you can't get down here, this guy's making a trip all across the country. Find one of those meetings. You'll do yourself a favor by getting into it. And then... Uh, and then from there, we went down to Myrtle Beach to spend some time with uh, Rick and Deanne Sarver, and that turned out to be a good time. And while I was there, there was something that jumped out at me that I had never considered before. 
And it had to do with the fact that Satan corrupted his wisdom. And I'm like, wait a minute. In order for him to corrupt his wisdom, that means that wisdom had to be corruptible. Because you can't corrupt something that's not corruptible. And that kind of... How many of you have ever had this thought? Why did God put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden? Or has somebody presented that question to you? And in the middle of that, they're bringing an accusation. They're bringing an accusation against God. If this thing's bad, God put the tree there, so it must be his fault. He shouldn't have put it there. That's the conclusion. That's, you can understand how somebody would come to that conclusion. Well, through the teaching that we've received here, which is the teaching of the Scriptures, we come to see that that tree wasn't originally something to stay away from. All right? Something changed, something corrupted it. Originally, God said, you can eat of all the trees. But then all of a sudden, he said, don't eat of this tree. So something happened. All right? And, and so now, that contradiction in my heart has been removed, right? But then I get confronted with this. The, how can something get corrupted unless it's corruptible? And now... It's like that accusation was right back. But I've started to see that accusation and contradiction are really the same thing. An accusation comes at you to say that you're something that you know you're not. Or it comes to tell you that you're not something that God says you are. But what I've learned in my walk is that in that place of contradiction, if I don't avoid the contradiction, stay there and start talking to God about it. Let the light come in. Because that's what happened in the beginning. It said darkness was upon the face of the deep and God said, let there be light. Because the light will come in and it'll sort out the contradiction for you. So now it's at a place where when I'm, when I'm seeing a contradiction or I'm seeing an accusation, instead of resisting the evil, now I am good to just stand there because I already know my sufficiency is not of myself. My sufficiency is of God, and, I, and, and He is with me. And if I'm willing to stand there, He will come, and He will shine the light, and He will sort it out. He will remove the confusion. He'll pluck out the fear so that you have a sound mind. A sound mind for the spirit of fear. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. Amen? So, I was thinking also about the teachings that have come out of here concerning the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you can go to YouTube and please do just type in Gospel Revolution Church and the Tree of the Knowledge of Good and Evil. There will be several teachings that will pop up. And a lot of, most of the time it's been presented just kind of like I just presented it in that we, 
it, it was presented as if the people we're talking to already know those verses. And which is, in this group, that's probably true. Okay. But for whatever reason, I just felt that it would be good to actually read some of those verses today. And, um, and what's, uh, what's amazing for me is as I get to reading this and I delve into it, pictures start coming up and I start seeing these pictures. And I, I told Annette this morning, I was so glad when Greg put the message up on Facebook about this morning. He said, Matt Moore will be ministering on. And I looked at Annette, I said, I am so glad he used the word ministering and not teach. Because I'm not feeling the teacher at all this morning. <laughs> I'm not. Now, that don't mean he won't show up, and he's welcome to. But right this minute, I'm not feeling the teacher. I just want to put stuff out there. Just let's, let's lay it out there. And, and, and then you guys judge. And then we'll come back, and we'll go to some Bible studies, and we'll throw this thing in the fire, and we'll, we'll see what needs to be burned off of it and what's going to stand up pure, and we welcome that kind of thing. All right. And also, well, let me read this first. In Genesis 1, 27, it says, for, it says, So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And God blessed them. And said unto them, Be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed which is upon the face of the earth and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed, to you it shall be for meat. So he said, I've given you of all the trees, right? That's what he said. Chapter 2. And the Lord God took the man and he put him in the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. So first you could eat of it, then you couldn't eat of it. And, and, and we're going to jump into that. But it's interesting, he said, in the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Now the churches I came up through, they used a carnal reasoning. These messages that come out of this church, they build on each other. It, it, it behooves us to pay attention. It behooves us to not miss. You know, it's like, you know, you miss two weeks of school and the math teacher's been building, busy building something and you come up, you missed all the building, and now she's talking about something and you're clueless. It takes you a while to catch up, right? Well, it's a lot easier if you just keep up all along. 
Um, see, it just happened again. I was going to say something that we talked about. Signs and wonders. It's a sign. Something about the tree. Oh, yeah, in the churches that I come up in, what I was going to say is we talked about the blind man and his eyes get popped open. He's never seen. He was born blind. His eyes pop open. Now he can see clearly, but he doesn't understand what he's seeing. So because he doesn't understand what he's seeing, the temptation is to take hold of the wisdom that he was operating in as a blind man and apply it to what he sees. Okay? Well, what does that mean in light of the tree of life versus the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? In our reasonings now, the carnal mind has thoughts. The carnal mind has a wisdom about it. And if you're used to operating from that, you will go, you will, you will depend on that and so when you get into a situation where you're looking at this, the temptation is to apply the carnal reasoning that you were using when you were blind. And the carnal reasoning we came up with was, okay, he said, in the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. We see that he ate of it, and he didn't drop dead. So we came up with this idea. We've got to do process of elimination, right? We've got to figure something out. I mean, that, that contradiction's there. You know, we've got to figure this out. We don't need to go to God. We can figure this out. And what we figured out was, well, he didn't drop dead there, but God said he'll die in that day, so he must have died spiritually. Adam died spiritually. No. <laughs> no. He said, in the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. In the day you eat thereof, death will become a surety. And there will be no getting out of it. Does that help put your heart at rest a bit? Well, if you want to get technical, Adam lived to be 930 years old. The man that lived the longest lived to be 969 years. Nobody went over a thousand years. Peter comes along and says, with the Lord a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. So you could say, he died in that day. <laughs> so either way you want to flip it, it ain't nothing to do with died spiritually. All right. Pictures, pictures, pictures. I've, I've got a lot of thoughts, and but I've got, an, I've got a picture on the inside of me right now, and I don't know where to put it. So I'm just going to put it here. Just do it right here. All right. I am picturing Adam. I'm, I'm going to refer to Adam more than Eve. Of course, Eve's right there with her, so just stay with me. Adam's standing in the Garden of Eden. He's been presented with the tree of life. And he's presented with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When you look at the language of the scriptures, many times 
these things get presented in the form of a marriage. Okay? And here Adam is standing there, not have eaten of either one of them. You could say it's like he's not married. And God comes along, and it said, and he blessed them. That word in the Hebrew is barak, meaning he got down on one knee, like a man making a proposal to a bride or who he wants to be his bride. And he, ble he, he gave a proposal. Well, what is a proposal? A proposal is, I'm offering you something. That's the proposal. I think you and me should get married. That's not a proposal. A proposal is when I present to you, if you come join yourself to the life that I have, let me show you what your life is going to look like. And that's what happened in the proposal. He said, and God blessed them and said unto them, here comes the proposal, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl. Notice he didn't say take dominion. He said have it. Well, how are you going to have it? Because he's going to give it to you. You don't have to take it. When you're standing in the life that he's offering you, these things, these things will be a part of our life together. He's trying to paint a picture of what your life will be. He's trying to explain the benefit. Why should you accept my proposal? I'm going to put it out there, and I'm going to let you see the beauty in me, and I'm going to let you see how much I love you. But how many of you know people's favorite, favorite people to talk about is themselves? You want to make friends with somebody? The way to make friends with somebody is not to get them to like you. You get them to feel good about themselves when they're around you. <laughs> That's the dynamic that works. So God's going to come and he presents something that's going to make you feel real good. This is what your life can be. All right? And he said, and in the meantime, while you're thinking about it, I'm going to give you of all the herbs of the tree, and I'm going to let you go enjoy that and think about whether or not you're going to answer my proposal. And that's what was going on. Well, while they're out there thinking about this, they're, they're really, in the, this guy likes me, man. <laughs> It's like, really? He likes me. But while they're sitting there doing that, somebody else comes into the picture. And he makes a proposal. Now, this proposal is totally different from the one that God offered. Because God stepped up and he offered a life. This cat shows up. And he offers what you can do with your own life. You don't need God. You can, I can show you how to bring this about through yourself. And so why would that be a proposal? Because this guy's got an ulterior motive. And his ulterior motive was 
if I can, if I can teach you how to start having this life in this world, I've been cut off from the life of God. So I'm needing life. So I'm going to go puff you up and build you up, and I'm going to live off of your life. And that's what the system of this world does. It offers you something, but really it's after your life because it's, 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 not, it's not tied to the life of God and it don't want to die, therefore it needs life. Where's it going to get it? It's going to get it from you. How many of you know or have heard of somebody where this guy marries this girl and everybody told her not to? The guy's a bum. No, I love him. I love him. And he loves me. And, and the next thing you know, this cat's spending his life sitting on the couch playing Xbox while she's out busting her butt to make a living. That's what the wisdom of this world does to us. It tells us, you can do this, you can do that, you can do the other, and you buy into it. But there's an ulterior motive. He wants to reach in and grab your life. Oh, Lord, you want to go there? <laughs> This is going to set some people free. How many of you have heard God hates divorce? Do you know that's not in the scriptures? It's not. What does it say? It says God hates the putting away of a wife. What's the difference? The difference is, when a wife was put away, he was putting her away, he was not going to take care of her anymore, but he wouldn't give her a divorce. So she would be free to go marry another. And that's what the wisdom of this world has done with mankind. It came in, and it put you, and the reason he wouldn't want to, the reason he would put him away instead of giving him a divorce is because in in that culture, when they got married, she because there was a proposal, right? Well, in that culture, when she accepted it and when she came into the marriage, she came with a dowry. And he's enjoying that dowry. That's what lets him stay on the couch playing Xbox. And now, things aren't working in the marriage because she's all frustrated, and the reason she's so frustrated is because she's remembering that other guy that proposed to her, and she let it get away. And that torments, man. I could have been with this guy. I could have been with this guy. But the reason he don't want to give her a divorce is because he don't want to pay back the dowry. Because he's living off of it. But also part of that picture that I'm seeing is now that Jesus has come and done what he's done and he has rescued the world from Adam and he has brought the whole world into himself. Now man is standing there in that garden again, unmarried. 
But there's a few things that are different this time. Number one, that tree's had an ax laid to the root of it. And it's in the process of dying. I've experienced that life now. I don't want to go back to that life. And now, God's like, maybe the words I used in my proposal wasn't strong enough to lure them into. Maybe they don't quite see what it is that their life could be like if they were with me. And so what does he present? He presents the resurrected Jesus. A man standing glorified, immortal, flesh and bone, without sin, never able to die again. And he says, this is what I'm offering you. I'm offering you this. Now the choice should be pretty easy. The choice should be pretty easy. But there can be some reluctance because I bought into this guy's stuff and it didn't turn out so good. So how do I know if I buy into your stuff it's going to turn out the way you say? Well, the only way you're going to come to a conclusion of that is spend time with the guy. Spend time with him. Watch, watch, watch how he is with other... What do they always say uh, uh, about a... They'll say this to a woman. They'll say, if you want to know how he's going to treat you, you, you need to pay attention to how he treats his mother because that's going to be a good reflection of how he treats you. Well, now we come up to this and we've got a long history of the way God treats people. We've got something to look at. We've got something to measure by. So, are, are y'all seeing this as I'm presenting it out? Because it's just a picture. It's just a picture. So, now let's go back to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We can conclude from the scriptures that I'm going to read that the, tree of the, the wisdom of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is actually speaking of Satan or Lucifer. Ezekiel 28, verse 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation against the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest the sum, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Well, King Tyrus hadn't been in Eden. But what he's speaking to, he's speaking to the spirit that's animating King Tyrus. You, you remember when Jesus said to Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan? Well, he wasn't calling Peter Satan, but he saw, that, he saw that Peter was being animated by Satan. So he addressed it in, in Peter, because that's what it was coming out of. Well, there's something going on here with the king of Tyrus, and God saw it, and he spoke through the mouth of the prophet to address King Tyrus and say, Thou was with me in the garden of God. Well, King Tyrus wanting in Garden of Eden. But that spirit or that doctrine 
for that wisdom was in the Garden of Eden, and that is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay? Thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God, and every precious stone was thy covering, the sardis, the topaz, and the diamond, and the beryl, and the onyx, and the jasper, and the sapphire, and the emerald, and the carbuncle, and the gold, the workmanship of thy tabrets and thy pipes that was prepared in thee in the day thou was created. Thou art an anointed cherub that covers. A cherub is an angel, right? Okay. Hebrews tells us that angels were sent to be ministering spirit to the heirs of salvation. That was their purpose. Thou art the anointed cherub that covers. I have set thee so. And thou was upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created until iniquity was found in thee. By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore, I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thy heart was lifted up because of thy beauty, and thou hast corrupted thy wisdom. How does, and, and see, and that was the dilemma I was having. So how does something that come from God become corruptible? And, and I, I came forth with this message Wednesday night, and it was like hot off the press because I had only been considering this for a day. And uh, I'm talking to Greg about it a few days later, and he's like, wait, how does the wisdom of Christ get corrupted? Can you say his wisdom was corrupted? Because that, that's what we do. We put these things in the fire. And, and we know the hottest fire is to go to Jesus. We're going we're gonna to look at him and to consider all matters. But what I started to see was this wisdom was given over to him, so it became his wisdom. And the scripture says he corrupted his wisdom because iniquity was found in him. Well, if that's true, that has to play out in other arenas too. And I started looking at the faith. Because that's what happens. Romans says, Herein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. The faith of God becomes my faith. From the faith to it is my faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. The faith becomes my sight. Okay? But what if iniquity is found in me? Can that faith be corrupted? You, 
You can go to churches all over this country and see the faith being corrupted. But it's not corrupted because there's something wrong with the faith. There's something wrong because of the iniquity in the people that rises up and causes you to corrupt that wisdom. What was in him corrupted everything that he saw. Where did I leave off here? Thy heart was lifted up because of thy beauty, and thou hast corrupted thy wisdom. By reason of thy brightness, I will cast thee to the ground. I'll lay thee before kings, that they may behold thee. Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries, and the multitude of thine iniquities by the iniquity of thy traffic. Therefore I will bring forth a fire from the midst of thee, and it shall devour thee and bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all that behold him. Some of you folks that are having, wrestling with this idea of eternal conscious torment, you've got to do something with this verse. You can't ignore it. Even if it's a contradiction, stand in the contradiction and let God bring the light and sort it out for you. All they that know thee among the people shall be astonished at thee, and thou shalt be a terror, and then thou shalt, be, and thou shalt not be anymore. We see this same thing played out in Isaiah 14, verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which did weaken the nations? 14.12 For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. I, 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 I. There was a wisdom in him that caused him to point to himself. People say that, well, never mind. When you partake of that wisdom, it produces the same thing in you. It causes you to point to yourself. Because that's what that wisdom had to offer. It said, if you'll partake of this, you can be like God. You don't need God. You can have what he's offering and, and, and you don't need him. That's what that wisdom works in us. It causes us to always point to ourselves. <laughs> Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble and did shake the kingdoms? that made the world as a wilderness and destroyed the cities thereof, that opened not the house of his prisoners, or you could say didn't give his wife a divorce. <laughs> all the kings of the nations, even all of them, lie in glory, every one in his own house. 
but thou art cast out of thy grave like an abominable branch, and as a raiment of those that are slain, thrust through with a sword that go down to the stones of the pit, as a carcass trodden under feet. Thou shalt not be joined with them in burial, because thou hast destroyed the land and slain the people. The seed of evildoers shall never be renowned, prepared slaughter for his children for the iniquity of their fathers that they do not rise nor possess the land nor fill the face of the world with cities. For I will rise up against them, saith the Lord. I will rise up against them. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. You get caught up in pride, which pride's all about me, right? you got a problem. God resists you. <laughs> I will also make it a possession for the bittern and pools of water, and I will sweep it with the bosom of destruction, saith the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts has sworn, saying, Surely as I have thought, so shall it come to pass. And as I have purposed, so shall it stand. Without going into everything, we understand that the purpose of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, before that wisdom was corrupted, its point was to point to the tree of life. Because it had its source was the river of life and that's what caused it to grow up and when it's standing there in all of its glory and all of its beauty what it's supposed to say is this is what this life will produce and you can have it go to the life but that iniquity was found in him the iniquity the iniquity that was found in him was he here's an angel he was created to be servant to those who are heirs of salvation. That's me. And he heard that and he's like, I don't think so. So he decided to exalt himself rather than the exaltation that comes from the water. That's why Jesus would come along and he'd... he'd he would tell, he was talking to the Pharisees, and he said, what you need to do is wait in the lower seat and wait to be called to the front. And then you'll receive worship of all. But if you fight your way up here to the front, you're probably going to get embarrassed when you're sent to the back. The first will be last, the last will be first. Okay, another story. But he said, surely, as I have thought, so shall it come to pass, and as I have purposed, so shall it stand. In our, in our talkings about the scriptures and stuff, it, uh, it came out that God has an eternal purpose, and there's nothing that anybody or anything is going to do to thwart that, all right? 
the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was to point to the tree of life. All right. It got twisted. Adam partook of that wisdom. And it brought him to a place where he understood life is not here. It's over there. So even in the corrupted wisdom, because of the purpose of God, that couldn't be thwarted. So even in that twisted state, it was still pointing to the tree of life. Because as you ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you come to find out life's not there. And then there's other scriptures where it talks about Satan being cast down. He said, I will cast thee down before the kings of the earth. Well, why is that? because the kings of the earth are going to be able to look and say, dude, you're dying just like we are. You don't have nothing to offer me. That wisdom is corrupt. That wisdom is corrupt. But the reason I read so far there is, I have, surely as I have thought, it shall come to pass as I have purposed. I hadn't seen that verse before. It's right there in the context. So it was a sign, but the sign got corrupted. The sign got corrupted when it began to point to itself. All right. We also know without going into three years worth of teaching, we know that the law, when, when the law of Moses was given, that was an expository of why man was dying. It was giving a picture of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and showing how it works. But it was given for the purpose that you might have life. It said, I have given you this, that your fear might be before the Lord. That's why the law was given. But because of the wisdom that man had partaken of, it was a corrupted wisdom. So now... The carnal mind reads the law and it comes up with the idea of, oh, I can have life if I do this, if I do that, if I do that, if I do that. Wasn't that what was presented to them? You can have these things if you do this. You don't need God. And that's the wisdom that was resident on the inside of them. So therefore, when they read the law, they saw that as something that you had to do. Well, that's corrupted. But it didn't come from God that way. Because how did it come from God? Anything that comes from God comes the same way as the proposal does. He says, I'll produce this in you. People talk about, hey, you don't have life by obeying the Ten Commandments. I agree, you don't have life by obeying the Ten Commandments. But I don't view them as Ten Commandments. I view them as Ten Promises. As he's showing me, if you'll come and you'll partake of the life that I have to offer, I will produce this in you. Once I come and fill your heart with abundance, thou shalt not steal. Once I come and fill your heart with my love, you won't hate your brother and murder him. I'm going to produce that in you. It's not that you have to use your willpower and not do these things. That's the wisdom of God. That's the mind of Christ. It shows up in the proposal. It's all about what he's going to give you. It's all about what he's offering you. 
He's not looking for you to serve him. He's looking to serve you. And yeah, we'll skip that. Man, where'd the time go? You talk too long. <laughs> This pastor you gave me. <laughs> well, let's just skip on down here. So we're a, we know that the law is a picture of that, right? But it's interesting what it said about the law. He said, um, let's see, where did it go? Already talked about that. Hebrews 8, 12. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. In that he saith a new covenant, he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxes old and is ready to vanish away. Okay, the law was given as a sign, just like the tree of the knowledge of evil was given as a sign. But it was designed to pass away. It was designed to vanish. Why? Because a sign is pointing to something. And once we get to the thing that the sign was pointing to, there's no need for a sign. You know, we're coming into Slide L. Slide L, 21 miles. Well, once I'm here, I don't need to know how far Slide L is. I'm here. Okay? The same way Paul would come along and he would say the law was given as a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. Well, once I'm there, I don't need the schoolmaster anymore, do I? But you know, when you're in school, you try to figure things out and you think you've got this figured out where the teachers are concerned and the principal and how this thing works and everything. And as a child, you get things all jacked up. Our carnal reasonings, carnal reasonings. I remember, I remember when I was just a little guy. I had learned that a quarter was twenty-five cents. Okay, and then I started hearing people talk about time, and they'd say, "Well, it's a quarter till." Ding, ding, ding. I know what that means. That means it's 25 till. Because a quarter's 25. Why do I say that? Because you can have some erroneous conclusions about school. And then as you grow up, you start, oh, okay, now I understand why they do this. Now I understand how they see that. And that's the way it is with the law. And in, in, uh, Paul would say, you're familiar with the verse, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Okay? Paul talked about the spirit of the law and the letter of the law. And the context there where he says, where the Spirit is, there is liberty. Liberty what? Liberty to look back at the law and see what it was saying the whole time. Because the corruption and the iniquity has been moved out of you and now you can see plainly. You can see what it was saying the whole time. You can see what Jesus saw when he was reading the law. Jesus hadn't bought into the carnal mind. He was not seeing it the way they were. 
That's why he would come on the scene and he would say, you've heard it said, but I say. You've heard it said, but I say. Not one time did he say, the law says, but I say. But people want to talk about the law as if it's contrary to Jesus. Well, sin will, sin, uh, the law will stir up sin in you. Well, it didn't stir up sin in Jesus. He's the measuring stick. Go listen to the message two weeks ago. He's the measuring stick. Listen to this. Paul said, But if the ministration of death written and engraven in stones was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away. Why was that glory to be done away? Because it was just a sign. It was just a sign. Mm, mm, mm. But as I was contemplating these things, there was something else that came into my field of vision about stuff that passes away. We're talking about signs. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And verse 8, charity, King James says charity, but for the sake of this, I'll say love. Love never fails. Love never passes away. It's always there. It doesn't cease. But where there be prophecies, they shall fail or they'll pass away. Where there be tongues, they shall cease. And where there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, or mature, then that which is in part shall be done away. And you can go to 2 Peter chapter 1 and see the progression of what happens in you once you receive the faith. It starts growing this thing up on the inside of you, which ultimately lands in the love of God. And that's what, that's what Paul's fixing to go into here. He's talking about that which remains, not that which passes away. Thank God for stuff that passes away because it's pointing to something that doesn't pass away. People get hung up on prophecies. People get hung up on miracles and signs and wonders. But those things are pointing to something. It's not for you to stop right there. I've been involved in churches where somebody got this miraculous healing and all of a sudden everybody just wanted to be a part of that. And it's like the whole church started getting built around that one thing instead of going to what it was pointing to. And the whole thing got off. And then because of lust, they would start, well, it's not happening anymore, so we're going to, and the next thing you know, you've got this guy with a freaking bug in his ear up there giving people words that somebody's reading off of a prayer card because he's trying to reproduce what was there. You can't reproduce that. It don't have no life in it. You're not supposed to reproduce a sign. God gives a sign. I don't even go seeking after signs. If a sign happens, it happens. Glory to God. 
But once the love of God is born in your heart, you don't need a sign. Because that's the purpose of the sign is to, for the love of God to be born in your heart. What is the love of God? It's the proposal. It never changes. Paul said, I'm convinced that, that sword or tribulation or peril or nothing can separate me from the love of God. Why? Because even though you married up with this other guy, God waited it out because he loves you. His promise never changed. It never changed. That's why John would come back and he would say, a new commandment I write unto you, yet not a new commandment, but that which was from the beginning. What was from the beginning? The proposal. It's a, he never changes. He never changes. Read the book of Hosea. If you don't, if you don't get into it, go watch the movie Redeeming Love. He never changes. He never changes. And it's like my field of vision is being narrowed now. When I hear of the love of God, my mind is now going right to that proposal, right to it, because that is the love. That's him offering something from his love. And we look at the depths of the love of God and the price he paid to show us these things. My God. He said, you don't you, you're, you're trapped in this corrupt wisdom. You don't understand. There's contradiction. There's confusion. So I'm going to do something for you. I'm going to take that upon myself and let you look at it. And when you look at it, you can see what's happening in you. You can have your life discerned by looking unto Christ crucified. And then the promise shows up in the resurrection. It's eternal. It never changes. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. What I'm offering you is right here, still waiting for you. And now I've demonstrated my love so you can see that I'm serious about this. I'm going to give you something that cost me. That other guy wasn't given something that cost him. He was looking for your life. God says, I'll give you my life. But some interesting things show up in this 1 Corinthians 13. And a lot of times we overlook the context. The last verse of chapter 12 says, But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet I show unto you a more excellent way. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, and have not love, I've become as a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity or love, I have not that promise. I'm nothing. 
And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profits me nothing. Why would he say that to these people? You've got to consider the context of the entire epistle. He's dealing with a bunch of dudes and maybe dudettes too that are all puffed up because they're operating in spiritual giftings and they're operating in spiritual callings. But they're using the wisdom that they used when they were blind and they're thinking that life is found in giftings and callings, but those are signs. But because they're using that corrupted wisdom and they bring it into this, they start corrupting the faith. Paul said, we are not of those who corrupt the Word of God. So it can be corrupted. And that's what was going on. And how do you spot it? How do you know when that's going on? You have to go back to the source of it. And the source of it is a sign that quit pointing to the life of God and started pointing to itself. And we see that in churches all over the world where the guy standing in the pulpit, everything's about him. I love this church. You, you, I, I can't express how much I love the people in this church. But the first time I visited down here, the thing that stood out to me more than anything was that any other church that I had ever been a part of Everybody was always talking about their church or they were talking about brother so-and-so who was the head of the deal. That's all that would come out of them. What was different here? We talk about Jesus because we understand that anything good that comes out of any of us, it's pointing to Him. So we're busy talking about Him. That's why we're busy all the time with the faith revealed in the Son of God in Christ crucified. Because that's where the wisdom is. That's what all this is pointing to. Jesus even recognized that in himself during his earthly walk. Man, the guy comes up to him, good master, what must I have to do to have eternal life? And Jesus is like, whoa. You see anything good coming out of me, it's here. Because even the life of Jesus was a sign. It was something we could look to that was pointing to something. Amen? But listen to where he goes here. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when that is, which is perfect or mature, when faith comes to maturity, the love of God is born in you. Go read 2 Peter chapter 1. I'm not going to take the time to do it right now. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when that which is mature or perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face, and now we know in part and prophesy in part, but then I shall know even as I am known, 
and now abides faith, hope, and charity, but the greatest of these is charity. What is he talking about taking, put, putting away the childish things? Okay, this is just Matt now, okay? What I have observed in a lot of people, myself included, you come into the things of God, you're a brand new babe. And it's like God will give you toys to play with. <laughs> and I've heard this testimony over and over and over. They're like, in the beginning, all this, man, I'd lay hands on the sick and stuff would just happen. But there came a time where it was like that was pulled away. Why? Because it's time to get rid of the pacifier. <laughs> it's time to grow up. It's time for you to understand what these things are all about. It used to confuse me because we were we were brought up under this teaching. It's always God's will to give physical healing. And then I would read in the verses where it says these things operate as the Spirit wills. The contradiction. I had to stand with it. That well, when is He not willing? I'll tell you when He's not willing. He's not willing if that thing is going to cause you to take your eye off of Him. He's jealous over your life. He's not going to give a machine gun to a nine-year-old. That's not punishment. That's love. Because he don't want you to hurt yourself, and he don't want you to hurt people around you. But one thing that stood out to me in this, he said, though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profits me nothing. Well, why would he say that unless he was interested in them being involved with something that would profit them? He's talking to you guys are all puffed up. You're thinking you're all that in a bag of chips because you're operating in this gifting or you're operating in this calling. He said, but those are grace gifts. It didn't cost you anything. So we're going to put away the childish things and we're going to get involved with something that's going to profit you. You, you saw in the proposal that, that God gave something that cost him. Well now, if you're going to grow up into that life and into this wisdom, we're going to have to be involved in something that's going to cost us. I saw a TikTok video the other day with Deion Sanders. He said, the thing I see is that your phone's ringing and God's calling, but he's calling collect. And you don't want to answer the phone because you know it's going to cost you. And when I first heard that, I'm like, oh, geez, you know. But I couldn't get away from it. The Holy Spirit just kept bringing it back to me, bringing it back to me, bringing it back to me. Because... To step up and operate as a mature son of God, it will cost you something. It'll cost you your life. That sounds harsh, doesn't it? But God doesn't make it harsh. What he does is he 
shows you the life that you're involved with. And he lets you see how utterly futile it is. And the thing that you saw as being a price to pay, you'll consider, okay, this is really nothing. So you're willing to give it up. That's how he does it. That's why the scriptures talk about speaking the truth in love. Because it does. It costs you something. You've spent your whole life operating by the carnal mind. You, you've depended on that for survival. And now you're being offered a life, but in order to have that life, you've got to lay this one down. It can be painful. It costs something. And I'm going to tell you from the heart of God, He's not indifferent to that cost. When you're willing to lay down your judgments, when you're willing to lay down your opinions, when you're willing to lay down your thoughts and look to Him for truth, He understands what that costs you, and that's a big deal to Him, and He appreciates it. He's going to spend all eternity showing you how much He appreciates you being willing to pay that price. But the thing is, just like you partook of the wisdom of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which, which produced this thing in you that was always causing you to go, me, 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 the fact that you're willing to lay down your life is because you have partaken of that eternal life and it produces something in you where you're willing to lay that down. That's what happened to Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus. He come face to face with the proposal. He sees the risen Jesus standing there. And he sees, that's what I've been after. But I don't understand because in order to have what I see in him, he should be operating like me. So there was a contradiction. Saul of Tarsus was operating under the wisdom of the carnal mind which put this thing in him. So when he saw Jesus hanging on that cross, he esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. You can't be stricken, smitten of God and afflicted and wind up in the place, I see this guy right now raised from the grave. He didn't know what to do with that. Why? Because he was operating from a faulty wisdom. It didn't say he was stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. It said we esteemed him that way. Why did we esteem him that way? Because that's what that wisdom produced in us. That's how it caused us to judge these things. Mm. Still back talking to the Corinthians in chapter 3. He said, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, and neither yet now are you able. For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there, are, there is among you envying and strife and divisions, and you walk, are you not carnal and walk as men? Or the Amplified Bible says mere men. You're operating as if you don't have God with you. Even though He is with you. But you're functioning as if He's not. For while one says, I'm of Paul, 
and another, I'm of Apollos. Are you not carnal? Who then is Paul and who is Apollos but ministers by whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? So I have planted, Apollos watered, but it's God that gives the increase. Paul and Apollos are standing there as signs. He said, we're living epistles read of all men. Well, an epistle is pointing to God. But they got it twisted and started pointing to themselves. And he breaks that thing down. You jump over into chapter 4 and he said, And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes. In other words, I didn't want to name names. So I'm just going to take it on myself. That you might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up one against another. He said, some of you say I'm of Paul, some of you say I'm of Apollos. He said, I've transferred that over to me and Apollos in a figure, but this is what you guys are saying about yourself. You're busy trying to heap disciples unto yourself. And I'm talking to the internet. I'm not talking to this church. We don't have these problems in this church. But it's in a lot of churches where everybody's busy pointing to themselves. Look at me. I'm the big deal. I'm the big deal. But if you will let faith have its perfect work in you, it'll bring you to the place where the love of God is born in your heart. And then you can set aside those childish things because you're busy operating childishly bringing a carnal wisdom and applying it to the things of God and you're hurting yourself and you're hurting other people. And it's like I hear God saying, I've had enough. I've had enough. And there's going to be people that start being exposed, not as a punishment, but it will be an act of mercy. Light's going to show up and it's going to lay bare everything that's in the hearts. But it's not too late to repent. It's not too late to repent. He's merciful. How do I know? Because I look at where I came from to the place where I'm at right now. I used to be all about being in the pulpit. That was my ambition in life. Because then I thought I was somebody. And so we got involved with these programs where we're busy worshiping the man of God, doing what he's talking about here. And we were taught how to get up that ladder of success. You have to show honor to the man of God. So I get busy. I'm showing honor to the man of God, all right. But I'm really not honoring the man of God. What I'm doing is what it is I think I need to do because I want to be in that spot because I see the attention and the worship he's getting and I want it for myself. Who does that sound like? Where does that wisdom come from? One of these things is not like the other. <laughs> Pay attention and see what it is you're busy with. Because before you know it, the poison of asp will be on your tongue coming out and it's going to hurt people.
I think I've said what I need to say. Is there something you want brought out? Well, glory to God. I don't know how to end this except to say, have a good week. <laughs> <laughs>